morning. This is <coughs> case 42 Hekigandoku. Lemon Pang's good snowflakes. The pointer. Bringing it out, unique and alone, is still dripping with water, dragging through mud. When knocking and resounding occur together, it's still like a silver mountain, an iron wall. If you describe and discuss, you see ghosts in front of your skull. If you seek in thought, you sit beneath the black mountain. The bright shining sun lights up the sky. The pure whispering wind circles the earth. But say, do the ancients have any obscurities to test? I'm citing this case. Look. The main case. When Lehman Peng took leave of Yaoshan, Yaoshan ordered 10 Zen travelers to escort him to the gate. The layman pointed to the snow in the air and said, Good snowflakes, they do not fall in any other place. At that time, one of the Zen travelers named Chuan said, Where do they fall? The layman slapped him once. Chuan said, Even a layman should not be so coarse. The layman said, Though you call yourself a Zen traveler this way, the king of death still will not let you go. Chuan said, How about you, layman? Again, the layman slapped him and said, Your eyes see like a blind man. Your mouth speaks like a mute. Zuetu said, When Pang first spoke, I just would have made a snowball and hit him with it. The verse, the snowball hits, the snowball hits. All Pang's ability cannot grasp it. Gods and humans do not know for themselves. In eyes, in ears, absolutely clean, absolutely clean. Even the blue-eyed barbarian monk Bodhidharma would find it hard to discriminate. Levin Peng lived in the 9th century, 8th, 9th century, and was the most famous lay Zen Buddhist uh, monk at that time. He wasn't a monk, he was just a follower. And he's compared to the Indian Vimalakirti at the time of the Buddha, who was also deeply realized lay student of the Buddha. Lemon Peng began his spiritual quest studying Confucianism and after realizing that path is not leading him to true clarity, he decided to delve into Zen practice. He studied with two of the greatest Zen masters at the time, Shitu and Matsu. Both were Dharma grandson, grandchildren of Huineng, the six ancestors. Shitu is the author of the Sandokai, as we chant, Sameness and Differences, and is also traceable through the Soto Zen tradition, Soto Zen school. Matsu, on the other hand, is known for his great teaching, but also for having left over 100 Dharma successors, 
And this is very unusual number at the time, considering the fact that many teachers had barely a handful of successors, or some none at all. Among his successors were Nansen, who was the teacher of Jiaozhu or Joshu. And Matsu is traceable through the Rinzai Zen tradition. So we could say the layman Pang actually embodied both tradition being a layman. So when layman Pang first saw Shitu, he asked, what person doesn't keep company with the myriad things? And before he stopped talking, he had his mouth covered by Shitu. And at that moment, he had a great awakening experience. He then composed a verse to express his attainment. And he said, my everyday affairs are no different. Only I myself naturally harmonize. No place is grasped, no place is rejected. Nowhere do I go for or against. Who considers crimson and purple honorable? The green mountains have not a speck of dust. Spiritual powers and their wondrous functioning, hauling water and carrying firewood. And this last line of the verse became a very famous saying, which many of you may be familiar with. It was incorporated in before realization, chopping wood, carrying water, after realization, chopping wood, carrying water. Marvelous activities, supernatural powers. Later on, Peng went to visit Matsu with the same question. What person doesn't keep company with the myriad things? And Matsu said, wait until you can swallow all the water in the West River in one gulp. Then I will tell you. The layman emptied out in great enlightenment. He then composed another verse. The ten directions, a common gathering. Everyone studies not doing. This is the place where Buddhas are chosen. Minds empty, they return successful. Peng went to see these two great masters, posed the same question to them. What person doesn't keep company with the myriad things? And he's asking a question that has been on people's minds since ancient times. Is there anyone who has found freedom while mingling with the challenges of everyday life? In other words, do we have to escape anything? Or is it possible to escape anything and to find something outside of everyday mingling, everyday circumstances? And Shitu simply covered his mouth to let him listen to what he can't hear when he speaks. Matsu told him to swallow an entire river in one gulp, and then he will give him the answer. He told him to wait, but he also told him that there is no need to wait. And at that, he got it. As a background note, during the 8th century in China, there was only monastic style practice. And from time to time, there were lay people who followed some of the great masters and would visit them periodically. 
and among these practitioners, Pang was considered the most deeply realized. And he even appears in the records as Dharma heir to Matsu, although there, is, there was never been any official ceremony to note his successorship. So he was not officially a successor, yet he was considered a great master, a great teacher. So after Pang attained great realization, he went to live simple life with his, in a small hut with his wife and his daughter. And one day, Shitu came to visit him and said, I've come to visit you. What have you been doing? Naaman said, If you're asking me what I do every day, there's nothing to say about it. And Shitu said, What did you think you were doing before I asked you about it? The layman again composed a verse to express his state of being. And he said, What I do every day is nothing special. I simply stumble around. What I do is not thought out. Where I go is unplanned. No matter who tries to leave their mark, the hills and dales are not impressed. Collecting firewood and carrying water are prayers that reach the gods. Shito approved, saying, So, are you going to wear black or white? The layman said, I will do whatever is best. And it came to pass that he never shaved his head to join the ordained Sangha. So will you wear white or black? Means will you be a lay or an ordained practitioner? The white, the lay practitioners would wear white at the time and the ordained practitioner would wear black. So in the Zen tradition at that time, it was common for seekers of the way to shave their heads, ordain, and become monastics at one of the established monasteries as they devoted themselves to studying under a Zen master. Before being allowed to monastic practice, these monks had to leave their families and let go of everything they had. And the ordination ceremony itself was called Tokudo, which literally means home living ceremony. And as some of you know, this term is still used by us these days when we have a novice ordination ceremony. Although in our case, the phrase itself is not taken literally. There is still an aspect of some renunciation that has to do with putting behind a certain way of living and taking on a life of service to others or taking on a life of paying attention to others. We even still shave the head in some cases, and during the ceremony, the postulant recites a verse to elevate the commitment of renunciation. And this is called the gata of shaving the head. And it reads like so. In this drifting, wandering world, it is very difficult to cut off our human ties. Now I cast them away and enter true activity. It is in this way that I express my gratitude. As I shave my head, I vow to live a life of simplicity, service, stability, selflessness, and to accomplish the Buddha's way. May I manifest my life with wisdom and compassion and actualize the Tathagata's true teaching. 
Now, this intention is still imperative for anyone who enters the ordination path as it was at the time of flame and pain. But of course, it manifests differently in accordance with the time and the place we reside in. And the difference also applies to monastic ordination versus non-monastic ordination. And the question for us is, how does it apply to non-ordained and non-monastic practitioners? Which most of you are, right? Non-ordained, non-monastics. How does it, or does it apply at all? What do we do with it? We'll go back to that in the discussion. So while clearly there are differences that have to do with the time and culture we live in, and there are different positions we may uphold at different times, the path we follow was this, is the same as what they follow back then, now and in the future. The question is, do we see that? And if we do, how do we follow it? If we look for it, we can't find anything. So what is it that we follow? In this case, Lehman Pang took leave of Yaoshan. He went to visit another monastery and he was about to go. And Yaoshan ordered, out of respect, ordered 10 Zen travelers to escort him to the gate. And as they were walking, the layman pointed to the snow in the air and said, Good snowflakes. They do not fall in any other place. Now, Peng's statement, the snow meeting the ground, Shitu putting his hand on Peng's mouth when he asked a question, each of these instances are nothing but an expression of the Dharma. Right? We pick up something and we say, this is it. This is it. But do we understand that there is nothing there or do or does our attention go there and then we get we actually think that there is something there that it does not exist elsewhere or there is something special with that that can only be found with that or in that person so each of those instances no excess no lack just like that but if we look for if we look for Pang's meaning, or if we think that it is it lies in accepting things as they are, then we have already missed the point of this koan. Of course, it is true that life becomes a lot less complicated when we learn to bring acceptance to what happens or accept things as they are and don't create resistance. But if we stick to statements such as everything happens for a reason or things are exactly the way they need to be. We may only be left with an intellectual impression or understanding of Lemon Pang's expression. And so to truly understand pointing at the snow or each snowflake does not fall in any other place, we need to drive it all to a singular experience and then let that go as well. So when you ask a question, when we ask a question, it is in the asking. When we wait for the answer, it is in the waiting. And when we listen to the answer, it is in the listening.
So at that time, one of the Zen travelers named Chuan said, where do they fall? So he climbed right on the hook that was lower down. And the layman slapped him once. Chuan said, even a layman should not be so coarse. And the layman said, though you call yourself a Zen traveler this way, the king of death still will not let you go. And Chuan said, how about you, layman? Again, the layman slapped him and said, your eyes see like a blind person, your mouth speaks like a mute. And Zretu added a phrase by saying, why only the king of death? Here, I would not let him go either. Back to the pointer. If you describe and discuss, you see ghosts in front of your skull. If you seek it in thought, you sit beneath the black mountain. The bright shining sun lights up the sky. The pure whispering wind circles the earth. Eat our path. The practice is always bright and clear. It's just that as soon as the mind is stirred up, we fall into the secondary and it seems obscure. It actually becomes obscure. And in this koan, Lemon Pang is presenting his own state of consciousness where precisely in seeing, there is no seeing. In speaking, there is no speaking. And if we attempt to make an exhaustive philosophical inquiry into this, we will only be further trapped. Kozetu said, when Peng first spoke, I just would have made a snowball and hit him with it. That's one way to arrive immediately. Lemon Peng on his deathbed said, the mind is like a reflection in a mirror. Though it is insubstantial, it is not non-existent. What is, we have no control over, and what isn't, is ephemeral. Aren't the esteemed sages just regular people who have resolved this matter? Aren't they just regular people, like each of us? who has resolved this matter or who has people who have put this question, this agonizing question to rest. So what is the difference between a layman practitioner and an ordained practitioner? If these two are different, how defined is the line between them? If they are the same, then why do they appear as two? The introduction to the book about Layman Peng describes how the two paths merge. The essential point is not lay or monastic. Layman Peng was no more attached to lay life than he was to a monastic or priestly one. His life as a revelation of the basic Buddhist truth that Whoever we are and whatever our situation is, there is finally only one thing to renounce, the self. This is no more accomplished through shaving one's head, changing clothes, or taking vows than it is lost in living a family life. 
making bamboo utensils as Lehman Peng did, and visiting friends. The difficulties and demands of our lay life, however, are real and need to be faced. The layman's sacrifices and those of his spouse and children are not described in the text. We must fill in those details with utmost care from our own experiences. In other words, this story has not is not written in the book, or the rest of the story is not written in the book. The story or the, the life of Lehman Peng is only a pointer to us, to our lives. And we have to continue that. We have to become the manifestation of that. Whether monastics, whether lay, whether ordained, it doesn't really matter. The question is, are we using all the ingredients of our lives to realize? Or do we think that there's, or there are some missing ingredients that only if we had them, only if we'd be in a monastery, only if we would be ordained, then the missing piece of the puzzle will be found. And then we could be realized. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. So for our discussion today, I want to go back to two of Lehman Spang's verses and take it from there. The first one, my everyday affairs are no different. And this is speaking from a layman's perspective. Only I myself naturally harmonize. No place is grasped or rejected. Nowhere do I go for or against. Who consider crimson and purple honorable? And those were honorable colors at the time. So robes made of or uh, dyed in those colors would be very honorable robes. The green mountains have not a speck of dust. Spiritual powers and their wondrous functioning, hauling water and carrying firewood. Well, in our case, it'll be taking out the trash and cooking a meal, going to work, writing an email. Each one of those activities, wondrous, miraculous activities, taking care of children, paying the bills, going to sleep, waking up. Every moment, an opportunity. Every moment, a miracle. Tying the shoes. All of it. Is that how we see that? And the second verse, what I do every day is nothing special. I simply stumble around. What does that mean? I simply stumble around. What I do is not thought out. Where I go is unplanned. No matter who tries to leave their mark, the hills and dales are not impressed. Maybe we have to remember that. Whatever we do, we try to live a mark. We try to sign our name. We try to be heard, to be seen. The mountains, the sky, the clouds, the ground, none of it is impressed by what we try to do. Well, we are impressed by what we try to do. That's for sure. 
collecting firewood and carrying water are prayers that reach the gods. Every step, every breath, everything we do can be that. So how does that apply to your life and your practice today at this time? Whether monastic, whether ordained, whether not ordained, what is our responsibility as practitioners? How do we merge what we call practice, what we call life? So, I would like to hear where we're at. And uh, Daibo will speak first. Okay. Can everybody hear me? Good to go. All right. So, um, Layman Pang for me is a um, it's a great example. Um, in the sense that, you know, that statement that he made um, when he was asked will you wear white or will you wear black? And he says, I'll do what's best. Mm -hmm. um, I think is a, a great entry point to what we're talking about from the perspective that um, we're asked that question by life in every moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how will we fit? How will we express that moment? And um, it's, a, it's a continual piece of music our lives and we're constantly trying to play it um, in an improvis in an improvisational way so you know the great jazz guitar player joe pass used to say um you're only a half step away from the right note so um that's kind of the way that that i look at life in that you know, we're constantly being asked to play a very complicated piece of music with no music in front of us, with just, you know, looking at the other musicians, hearing the other musicians, feeling the music. So, you know, when Layman Pang says, I'll do what's best, um, you know, to me, that's a very encouraging statement because mm -hmm. it's a constant, it's constantly mm -hmm. trying to find the right note. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of what Layman Pang says to me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, very important line. I'll do what's best. Um, to do what's best, we have to remove the barriers. We have to get beyond dualities and we have to stop creating divisions. And uh, from my personal experience, I was practicing for quite a while uh, as non-ordained practitioner and um, I actually did not want to ordain. I, I thought there's something there and I knew that I don't want that thing, whatever, that, whatever I thought it was. And it took me a while to realize that I was creating something of ordination and I put myself on the other side of that thing. And there was a division there and I wasn't able to hear what it is actually saying. And it took a while to realize that 
I, something had to dissolve before I was able to do that. And ordaining was doing what's best. Ordaining was doing what life is asking me to do, was asking me to do at the time. So it became natural. But it's not possible as long as we hold on to divisions. And often we don't know that we hold on to divisions because we are so convinced that we know what we are seeing. I know what the robes represent, right? That's the thought. But how can I know what the robes represent, right? Only by putting myself on one side of a divide that I myself create, I know what they represent, or I think I do. But by, by allowing the walls to dissolve, I was able to enter that and realize that there is nothing there and there was nothing before either. It was, it's just another way of, it's another upaya, that's all it is. <clears throat> and it may be, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe a very important upaya. It may be the upaya of what's best at that time. But we, we cannot know that as long as we hold on to divisions. And so whether ordained or not, we have to be careful to not, uh, to not raise walls, not define ourselves as non-ordained or non-monastics. And then if we are monastics, to not define ourselves as monastic practitioners. Wherever we are is the monastery. Our lives become a home become the monastery if we practice continuously. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I kind of felt very similar to that. You know, I, I thought that, you know, being ordained, well, you know, it's, it's like just like getting a black belt, you know, right. it's just like, you know, this thing. And I, I struggled with it for a long time. And, and then I did go back to that analogy of a black belt. And when I got my black belt, what did it mean? It was like this, this, this giant thing until you got it. And then once you got it, it was nothing, um, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what the, the ordination was for me. You know, it was something very big, but in the end, it really wasn't anything. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, I think it represents a kind of intention and a kind of commitment that you make just like you do when you take Jukai or, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you decide to actually commit yourself to Zen practice, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of an, another level of um, committed intention, I would call it. Um, right. And so, so how do we, uh, so as you know, Daibo is uh, ordained, right? He has taken uh, Tokudo. Um, so those of us, those of you who are not ordained, those of you who are uh, either uh, have not taken Jukai or have taken Jukai, uh, that's an, that could be another dividing line that we create. Um, where are we at with that? You know, before taking Jukai, after taking Jukai, or on the path of taking Jukai right now? Where are we at with this? How do you feel about, I vow to live a life of simplicity, service, stability, selflessness, and accomplish the Buddha's way. Is that reserved only to those who decide to ordain? Or do we understand that this is for all of us? So anyone who is not ordained. <laughs> Mukan, good morning. <laughs> 
Good morning. Um, yeah, I, I guess this discussion brings me back to something one of the monks at Daibusatsu said the first session I went to, mm-hmm. where he brought up, you know, is kind of in a reassuring way, but also just like it was interesting for me to even think on of that, you know, as monks, we have it easy. Uh, you as lay people have to go back into a world that is decidedly against the very things that you are trying to cultivate. And I don't necessarily mean in an, in an antagonistic kind of framework or that, you know, because it, this is the pure land and it's up to us to make it so, as it were. Mm-hmm. But there is an element of we re-enter into old habits that we've developed, whether it's time to wake up, time to go to work and make dinner, whatever routines that we have. And we make delineations. And I know uh, you and I have spoken a lot recently about trying to dissolve, uh, which is a word that I like using here more than, uh, you know, get rid of or whatever it is dissolving. You know, even when you dissolve salt and water, it's still in the water. So I think dissolve is a good word here. Mm -hmm. Uh, dissolving the line between the cushion and then my waking life of why do I make a decision of I sit on the cushion and it's time to meditate Mm -hmm. and I focus on my breathing. Then the gong rings and Mm -hmm. that part is over. And now I go back into a completely different flow. And when I'm trying to focus on dissolving, uh, the boundary between those two things, and you can kind of look at it as a boundary between lay person and ordained member, you know, non Jukai versus Jukai. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those things are important to keep in mind. And, you know, it it was, and I guess the last thing I'd say here, at least from my own experience of Jukai, I think the way I was able to contextualize it, where it still felt like a very serious thing to me where I was committing to doing something in a way that, you know, uh, when I first kind of stumbled into the sauna, <laughs> I did not see myself doing, uh, but not because I had any opinion of it either, which way I was more just feeling this out, but, um, something you had mentioned about, uh, ritual and putting on the robe of, yeah, I don't need this, but I empower it to have, a meaning to it and I give it the weight in a way of the reason why we do these things why you still go through the prostrations why you do whatever it is is do we need this no do we need it but it we give it a weight that I think is beneficial and it's not Mm -hmm. one that weighs heavy on us but it is one that helps us get in the mood I I, I don't know it's (laughs) I don't know how to frame it, but it's something that I think about at least after the Jukai ceremony was, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 it is what I make it now. Right. I, and right. I, where I go from there is up to me. We could say, I don't need the robe or the Rakusu, but the robe or the Rakusu needs me. Mm-hmm. Right. And because it needs me, I will do what's best. I don't need anything is, is actually true, mm-hmm. right? Because there's no need for anything, but then life does need us to do or act in specific ways 
based on the the based on the moment, based on what life calls us to do, right? Based on the need. So if life says it's time to put on a robe, then it's time to put on a robe. If life says it's time to sew a rakusu, then we sew a rakusu. We take precepts, right? So, but we have to pay attention. We have to be willing. And, and that's the point of, you know, how do we, uh, what is renunciation, right? What does it mean? So the beginning of that verse I read the, on shaving the head, in this drifting, wandering world, it is very difficult to cut off our human ties. At that time, it was referring to actually leaving home. And they had to leave home in order to ordain. So it wasn't a question. They had to do it. It was part of the, the requirements. In our time, we're not leaving anywhere, but we any anything, but we do have to open up the hand of thought. We have to let go. We have to uh, recognize our um, fascination with attachment, with grasping, and that's what we have to let go of, so we can actually move and flow. And the grasping can be grasping on, onto being ordained or not being ordained. Being a monastic or not being a monastic. So, what are you grasping onto now? Anyone? Koge? You have to unmute. Um, good morning. Uh, I, I, good morning. I, that's a very good question, grasping, and I go, oh my gosh. Um, I grasp more than what I'm aware of. But now you're aware. Just mentioned that, I went, oh my gosh. It's like, uh, if I'm doing out or something, it's like I'm grasping. I just got to get this. I got to get this right. I go, what is it? And I go, I go oh my God, that's one of my problems. Instead of relaxing into it and having fun playing with it, and and they you know have fun with the paint, you know, oh great! I said that just sounds wonderful, you know, and um, it's like, but it's true. That's what it is. I mean, because I've seen myself in the past, and, and it's like, um, I don't know. It seems just obvious in those kind of situations, mm -hmm. but. I don't know about others. I mean, that just hits me more because of the intensity of my desire. Mm -hmm. um, whereas as others, it's, it's, it's not as obvious. Let's put it that way. It's, it's not as obvious. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing with attachment, it's like, I don't really know when I'm attached and when I'm not. I, I, I don't have a grasp on that yet. You know, don't become attached, you know, right, it sounds good, but in my heart, am I really not attached? Um, I, it's just something that I have to, that I'm like sort of aware of, but haven't really come to grasp with that one either. But um, I just think that this whole process is a matter of awareness and a more awareness of, of, of what you're doing so that you can make the corrections, but 
when you said grasp today, it went, bells went off. That really was meaningful. <laughs> so I say, gosh, oh, gosh, thank, oh, gosh. Thank you. And so the line after that says, now I cast them away and enter true activity. <clears throat> so here is what we do. We cast them away and enter true activity. Or by entering true activity, we cast them away. We can say it that way, right? And to enter true activity means to recognize that my supernatural powers and miraculous activities, right, are nothing but going downstairs to take out the trash, cooking a meal, writing an email, making coffee, going to work, talking with a friend, all of it. All of it, sitting, standing, walking. This is the miracle. This is entering true activity. Recognizing that as miraculous means entering true activity. How many times we reject, right? So, and that's the, that's the entry point. So, we don't have to focus on letting go of grasping as much as entering true activity. Mm. The letting go happens. Mm. Thank you. Okay, who's next? Major is unmuting. Good morning. Morning, everyone. So, um, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, what is uh, the difference or how do you feel different about uh, taking Jukai? For me, the experience has been that um, after taking the precepts, it makes it sometimes a little easier for me to be more aware of when I'm judging or where I'm um, grasping or when I'm rejecting certain things. Because and now I have different information, different tools, mm -hmm. different um, awareness mm -hmm. than before the Jukai. So it makes it a little easier for me at times to center myself and to be aware of when I'm behaving in uh, certain ways or allowing, allowing um, life to kind of affect me in certain ways. So for me, to, the Jukai is not like, um, I'm not gonna say that it made so such a defined line, but it just uh, helped me with, with just more information and tools to be able to deal mm -hmm. with some of the things that we find unpleasant or we reject on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes when you are, you know, at home and when you are around people that are like-minded and when, you know, you are in a, in a space where you feel safe and accepted and everything else, it, you know, it's a lot easier to 
to deal with everyday life. But when you are in an environment where it's not um, comfortable, it's not of your choosing, not your ideal situation, then it's when you go back to, to your precepts, to your tools, to what you have learned through your practice to, you know, help you center yourself and, and get yourself in a better place to be able to deal with the situations a little easier. Not that it's going to make things uh, dissolve and go away. It's just what it is. And you have, you look at, you look at things and you look at people and you look at situations from just a little different perspective and you, you know, you're grateful for it because you know that you have uh, support and awareness that other people don't have at the moment. And not that you're saying, oh, you know, you're better than these people in any way or form. It's just uh, a little more reassuring that um, you have the support. And, you know, it, for me, especially with, you know, this COVID situation and everything, when things got tough and things got difficult, I relied on my practice to get me through situations that were unpleasant. So for me, that's that's where I see the you know the benefit and the difference between not not having the awareness or, or the precepts of Jukai as to before. Did I have this ability that you know before Jukai? Yes. I, I may have, but I was not aware of it at, at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, that that's, seems like um, what has helped me the most. When I'm being judgmental, it's like, uh-oh, what would, you know, am I following my precepts? When I'm showing up a certain way, and um, am, I, am I following my precepts? You know, am mm-hmm. I, you know, where am I... Uh, being sincere and where am I not being sincere, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, life sometimes sucks. It throws us some really difficult curveballs and you know, um, we have to do the best we can with what we have in front of us. But from my experience, because obviously I've lived before the Jukai and after the Jukai, with my experience, um, being aware and being able to know both lives. For me, taking the precepts and, and you know, that part has helped me tremendously. And I don't know about anyone else, but for my experience, um, it has benefited me in so many different ways. So, um, I, I hope to see in in the future the people that are in process of taking Jukai how it affects their life differently. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Major. So it offers an opening, right? The reason yes. it offers another way to uh, meet the moment, right? And and as 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 such, it is it is a great upaya. Yes. It is a great upaya because it it it. It makes us stop and take a look and maybe appreciate more. Yes. Maybe appreciate more, right? And and the point in that in, in uh, the last uh, part that I was reading from, 
not to be attached to either before Jukai, after Jukai, uh, before ordination, after ordination, not to be attached to any of it, but to see it as another opportunity to create an opening. Yes. The practice itself, what we call the practice, uh, has no, it, it is wide open. It has no ranks, it has no divisions, it has no positions. We create divisions and positions, which is fine, as long as we understand how to use them. Right? As long as we understand how to use them. Thank you. Yes. Enkai, good morning. Morning, everyone. Um, it, two things come up for me regarding this topic. Um, one regarding uh, ordination and Jukai and like it being a really, um, you know, this thing we can have a lot of ideas about reminds me a lot also of uh, when we moved in together and then when we, when Tyria and I decided to get married, that every step of the way just felt very like natural and what should be happening. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I wasn't like freaking out about, Oh my God, I'm getting married. Oh my God. Oh my, I, like, I could understand what's important about it. Um, but I wasn't one of those nervous brides who was like freaking out because mm -hmm. I didn't have all these ideas about it besides just, it felt like this is healthy and natural and the harmonious thing to do in this moment. Um, and, uh, and there wasn't really a big feeling of anything different before and after so much. Uh, so as far as like ceremonies that are meaningful, but also finding them at the right time and our ideas about them, I guess um, that was resonating. Um, and then uh, the, you know, the question to Layman Pang, you know, will you wear black or white and I will do whatever is best. Um, that uh, that's come up because I've thought in the past, even before uh, entering this sangha, like a, a contemplated, um, you know, monastic pra practice, and it, and what really the understanding that I've come to for now, and that's always the thing is the term, like the phrase for now, is that. The moment, and I don't know, for some folks that maybe they've had this as a moment, maybe they've felt this way all along, or maybe it was gradual, everyone, I don't know. But for me, there was a big moment in my life where I had a bit of a light switch turn on uh, to realize, to like start living my life in service of others. Like there was a big shift where I became very conscious of that. Mm. It's not that I wasn't doing it in some way, but I wasn't, wasn't in my intentions or it wasn't conscious. And, um, and that was right around the same time of like encountering the precepts. So like in that moment, just like learning about the precepts, taking them to the heart, that was just as important or that was the meaning. And then the Jukai ceremony was, you know, a couple of years later was then only maybe the natural progression. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
And so even if I can say that, well, for now I can be of greatest service as a lay person, the tools that I have on hand, the position that I am in socially, you know, wherever I'm at, like, this is where I can be of greatest service for now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not like I have to decide now if I'm never going to be ordained or a monk down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, that's my understanding is, it's just like, what is the most skillful thing right now with what I have available and where I am? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So a good snowflake, it does not fall in any other place. A good practitioner does not find himself or herself in any other place. Right? You know, we talk about uh, where is the Buddha field? This is, wherever we are, is the Buddha field. Right? In the same way that the snowflake falls exactly where it falls. There's no question. There's no pondering. Should I have fallen over there versus here? This is it. There's no other place. And if it was there, that would be it. Right? And and so a good snowflake is doing exactly what life is asking is asking it to do without even knowing. Right? And that's the one thing we need to let go of, the knowing or pondering or weighing or measuring, comparing. Thank you. Uh Tyler? Uh, it's it's funny what uh, Enkai just said, and maybe I was having similar thoughts because we sit uh, so close to one another in meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, physical proximity creates similar thoughts. But uh, speaking of things as a progression, it, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, we say, oh, I, I will be taking Jukai, or I have, you know, oh, I've, I've taken Jukai. But really, maybe we should be saying, I'm Jukaiing. You know, and, you know, those who haven't taken Jukai, they're Jukaiing, but those of us who have taken Jukai are Jukaiing. You know, Daibo is ordinating. You know, a lot of us, well, you know, we're probably all ordinating. Um, you know, we're not in a monastery. We're mm-hmm. not in a, you know, maybe a monastic uh, place, but we're all monasticating. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know, it sort of opens it up to sort of think of it. And, and, and every, it, it also allows for everybody to be in their own place, like the snowflake. Um, what about the people who are practicing Zen and they don't even know what Zen is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, are we Zenning? <laughs> Anyways, I'll be quiet now. Uh, yeah, that's, that's another division, right? So being a practitioner versus not being a practitioner, right? Uh, or me being before and after, right? To see myself before I enter practice and then after entering practice. What is the difference? Right? Other than paying attention, what is the difference? Right? Isn't that what we're talking about? Well, I always feel if I'm worrying about, uh, you know, whether I'm practicing, that I'm probably not practicing. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, uh, who is next? We still have a little time. Yes, Kelly, good morning. Good morning. Um, 
I wanted to say something just briefly about um, my the thoughts that come up for me about about um, the, how we enter into this, and I I recalled like three years ago. Kelly, do you want to turn off the video? Then, Kelly, first encountering the bodhisattva vows and sort of looking at them, being like, that's a big, big deal. I will have to choose to start saying the vows. Can you? Uh, yeah, if you can turn off can the video, uh, we can hear you better. If you can turn off your video, I think we'll be able to hear you better. Just while I think it's lagging. while you while you start while you're talking. Can you hear me, me better now? Yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I wanted to share that I um I was recalling like first encountering the Bodhisattva vows. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago and looking at them kind of, this is a thing before I was, you know, I was starting to, to toy, so to speak with Buddhism. Um, but taking, you know, seeing the Bodhisattva vows seemed like a big deal mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here today, listening to, to this and realizing I've been speaking the Bodhisattva vows for, mm -hmm some amount of time. And I think that that's really interesting because I believe them, I, I'm trying to live them. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't necessarily say for certain when that happened, when that started. <laughs> and that's really interesting, I think, because it, there is, the, the vows are somewhat of a, I, I, I imagine a gate when I think of these, um, you know, the precepts, taking Jukai, becoming ordained, I think of gates, but I also think of them as very thin, like sort of wispy things that we maybe don't always realize we pass through when we pass through them. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're much less solid than perhaps we want to grab, like grasp onto, but they exist mm -hmm. in a way that we, we do give meaning to. Mm -hmm. um, I find myself, I find myself grasping like I th when I think of what I'm grasping at or what I'm resisting or what I'm holding on to, mm -hmm. I think back to that moment when I was like, oh, those bodhisattva vows are a big deal. And I hold on to, I grasp actually ignorance mm -hmm. or um, the feeling like I cannot pass through that or I cannot live that way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not, that's not for me yet or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's probably something a lot of us think of when we think of, you know, becoming ordained or passing through the next gate, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, career things, this comes to mind, you know, marriage came up. Um, you know, I have these letters behind my last name, you know, as a social worker, but mm -hmm. I, and I can tell you when those letters came about, but they don't necessarily mean, mean something different and yet they don't. And so I continue to be completely surprised and in awe of how similar everything can actually be and how many opportunities and how much responsibility we have mm -hmm. here and now. So um, those are some of the things that come to mind for me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you can turn on the video again.
So the question is, what are we waiting uh, to? Are we waiting until we take on some kind of uh, or go through some gate, as Kelly was saying, before we take on um, the responsibility? to practice fully, right? So we talk about, I vow to live life of simplicity, service, stability, selflessness, and accomplish the Buddha's way. Uh, do, do we see that as something that uh, we will look at later or possibly do later, right? Or do we understand that as practitioners, day one practitioner, we always vow to do that from the beginning. Now, that being said, our ability to do that grows over time as we get deeper into practice. So, so the requirement is to do the best we can right now, today. To, the best, to do the best we can with living a life of simplicity, service, stability, and selflessness. Right? And in that, there are no levels. There are no positions. Right? Although there are certain positions of somebody who's been ordained, uh, that will do this or that, still, each practitioner is uh, required to do the same in terms of uh, commitment. So are we, are we seeing that? And also th that we have to find it within our day-to-day -day activities, whatever we happen to be doing. That is the place. That is where the snowflake falls. How can it, the snowflake fall anywhere else? How can we be anywhere else? How could we become anything else? That's all in the mind. Those are the divisions in the mind. But when we come, it comes down to life itself, this is it. This is the place. And the question is, do we really see that? Or do we create uh, an idea of before, now, and later? Or the me of before, now, and later? So, we still have a few more minutes. Um, anyone wants to say anything? Add to that? Deepen that? How about Myogen? Yes. Oh, how did I know? It's good. Because you're psychic? No, we happen, okay. as, as, as uh, Tyler <laughs> said, we happen to reside in the same place. I just there there are a few things that that come up for me um in fact i was just trying to write down something that came up for me but um i feel like we're already living right and i feel because we are alive this is something that is innate in us and something we've already undertaken um i feel like we're already here. We just need to realize and be engaged and commit to engagement and attentiveness to why we're here. Um, I think it has something to do with a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. but not getting caught up in it. Um, and I do, I agree with, um, with what Enkai and Tari were saying, you know, kind of um, the natural flow of things. Um, and, and, um, what's supposed to happen does happen. And it's just, for me, it's just, um, it's just waking up to that. Mm -hmm. It's waking up to service, waking up to the fact that I'm here and I'm here to help others. 
um, and just realizing that. And what I, I think what I just, yeah, what I just was going to write down was realizing that you're in the egg mm. and that you've got to start pecking out. And that's what, that's what ordination was for me. That's what Jukai was for me. Um, I don't have a sense of separateness between living life and um, taking up that commitment because eventually we all realize that we're here um, to break out of our shell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've gone through, uh, Junior can tell you, I've gone through a huge process of breaking out of a shell, you know, being, having a boundary and, and then realizing that there is no boundary. So yeah, just a few thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So to, to break out to, uh, and even in every step of the process of breaking out, still it is, it is, it should be fully expressed, right? So the vow that we, we take on is not a vow that is waiting to be expressed after we break out of a shell, whatever the shell is, this is the place. So while being within a shell, that's where we express the vow. While breaking the, through the shell, we express the vow, and then being out of the shell, we express the vow. Right, and it, it one thing that I think it does or it should do for us, it should uh, relieve the pressure. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of added pressure that we create uh, in the way we live life. Uh, we run around, we have to be there, we have to do that. There's a lot of things we have to take care of. There's a lot of worries we we uh, walk around with, and if anything, the, the the realization that this is it, that this is the place, this is the time, uh, this is the person can free us from the added pressure that we put on. And if it does that, it's wonderful because if it does that, we're able to pay a lot more attention. The pressure sucks up a lot of energy from us. We're exhausted and we are missing out on a lot. So... I think that's something that uh, we should we should look at and live with on a momentary basis. So, thank you. Yeah, Natalie, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, yes, the pressure that you speak of, I feel like it naturally dissolves with the daily practice, which is so wonderful. I definitely am feeling that firsthand. And then, oh gosh, so much came up for me. Just the passage was just um very empowering um just the the comfort that we we are the snowflake in the right place at the right time we don't have to shave our heads and be ordained but yet the practices of ordination and jukai um really kind of they feel like a fast track going through the jukai process right now we're starting it it already feels like it's it's just a bit of a fast track like the scaffolding that you need and um, with the practice and i think that's intensified by the buddha dharma sangha i'm not just throwing out words here <laughs> i'm saying it because um that's what i'm feeling that's the experience of it right now and i'm not sure if i wasn't doing jakai that i would be in this i mean still be on the path or whatever if you want to call it it's a bit cringy calling it path would still be in the process of it but i don't know I think it's help. It's very helpful just um, in speeding up, not speeding up, but just helping with the process. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, just slightly fast tracking it, but in a in a correct way, like in a in a way that feels right. It's not rushed. It's the, it's kind of within the flow and keeping with the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and even you mentioned earlier about those the, the supernatural powers. Well, I I feel that almost literally in the mundane tasks. So just in that release of pressure in in those basic everyday tasks, there's such a different feeling. Um, doing them, experiencing them than there was a year ago when I was not practicing on a daily basis. Um, And also, for example, I'm a teacher and I've just gone through the process of writing 300 report cards and I do this twice a year. (laughs) And every every time I go through it, it's pretty much hell because it's on top of my full-time job and everything else in life. And um, I'm always... I, I never meet my deadline because I always think, well, no one else has to write 300 report cards. You're lucky that I'm writing 300 report cards. And I just, I get it done and it's always late and blah, blah, blah. But this time I didn't even have to really try. It just came easily. I was earlier because before the deadline, I got so much excellent feedback and um, there was no extra effort. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. there was seemed to be proof there that there was some kind of flow happening without me trying for it. So um, but I think in a way that kind of is a supernatural power without trying to like acquire, it's very mundane, mm-hmm. but there is something supernatural about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it happens the way it needs to happen and there's, there's a naturalness in that. Right, right. Nothing is, is superimposed, nothing is external, everything is just the way it needs to be and, 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 and we are the way we need to be with that. Mm-hmm. So while there is a process, right now, that's the way it is. So, yeah, thank you. And there's an ease with it too, just yeah. the comfortableness, yeah. Right, and then step by step, it's, it's, it's the right time. Right when is the right time to, for example, enter Jukai process? Then we just enter Jukai process, and when we don't, we don't. Right, so it's all good because it's all the way it is. Now the good snowflake is not good in relation to bad or uh, as opposed to bad, and that's how we may see that, right? And uh, and it's important to to understand that it's good because it's the way it is. It's a different kind of good. It's more like the good that God came out of, the word came out of. It's that kind of goodness. Thank you. Great. Okay. Uh, we are going to wrap it up. Uh, I don't see any hands, right? We're good. Okay. So we are going to wrap it up with that. Thank you all. And uh, to be continued. <laughs>